You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Also, I'm on the title of my sermon this morning, The Fellowship. The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't a part of the sermon, clearly. Not of the ring, the church. Fellowship. We are in the second part of our vision casting series to start off the new year called Counter Culture Church. Um, we are going through this series looking at the early church, the church in the book of Acts, to see what, were, what was their culture, what were they doing to grow, uh, to grow their community, to grow the church, and also grow the believers. And we're not doing this because we want to be controversial and be countercultural to the rest of the world and, and, and point, our, point to ourselves and say, hey, look at us, we're different. We're not, doing, we're not studying it for that purpose. We're looking at the early church because we desire for growth in our own life as well as our community here at Plus Life. We, and, and naturally, when we pursue the things of God, when we follow after his word, obey him, obey his commands, the natural outcome of that is that we will be countercultural. We will go against the grain of the world. And, and we're looking at these four things that we just read about that the church was committed to. Last week, we looked at the apostles' teaching. We saw that in our passage just now. But this week, um, we are looking at the fellowship. Now, as we mentioned last week, the idea that these, the church was devoted to these aspects meant that they were persevering in these things. That's what devotion in Scripture means. It's they're persisting, they are persevering despite the hardships. Even in last week, we talked about the apostles' teaching and how the apostles' teaching, the summation of that was uh, a devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as a devotion to holiness. That was the foundation of everything that they believed in, what they preached, what they propagated we understand that the gospel is the power of God to, to save people. It's the power of God for salvation. Uh, Paul talks about in his letter to the Second Corinthians, he said, I determined to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. The gospel is the reason why everyone here in this room can gather, why we can sing these songs and why we can pray, why we can have good relationship with one another. It's a gospel that unites us, it binds us, it's what forgives us and allows us a reconciled relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if you believe the gospel, the natural response to that is repentance. If you believe what the gospel entails, that we are sinners in need of a, in need of a Savior because we face the wrath of a holy God, then the natural response to that is we repent. God, I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to follow after you. And that repentance is what holiness is. That repentance is what leads to us being set apart from the rest of the world, being countercultural. Now, the, the legacy of the apostles, the apostles' teaching, as we mentioned last week, is, of course, the New Testament. Everything that they believed about the gospel, everything that they practiced in regards to holiness and taught about it, it's all in the New Testament. And that's, that means then for us in, in the 21st century here, right, 2024, the devotion to the apostles' teaching means that we study God's word. We put a high priority on God's word. We, we study apostles' teaching through the written word of God. Now, as mentioned this week, we're talking about the fellowship, the fellowship. And contrary to some of our modern-day understanding of the word, 
Fellowship does not mean refreshments after church, right? Fellowship does not mean hanging out or ha- having some board game night. That is not biblical fellowship, which oftentimes today we understand as socialization. We need to socialize with each other as the body of believers. But that's not fellowship. Of all the Christianese words that we use in our church language, I think this word fellowship is maybe one of the most out of context, misconstrued, misunderstood word uh, that we use in the church. And the result oftentimes is believers or Christians will go out to these social events and think they are part of the church because they're socializing with the church. They're part of, they, they, they went to the sports event, they went to the picnic event. I'm part of the church. I'm fellowshipping, am I not? But the biblical idea of fellowship has an elevated view of that. And it's not just socialization. It requires more of believers. It requires edification. It requires actual sincere relationships being built in the church. And it's not just the potlucks or the hangouts or the fun times. Because if that's, what, if that's all fellowship is, then we are no different than the rest of the world. And I might even argue that the world does it even better. But we serve drinks after church. Well, I can go to a Timmy's and get a coffee, you know, to my liking. Oh, but we have, we have food. We have potluck from time to time. You know, if you go to any Gurdwara, right, and any of the Sikh temples in, in, in Mississauga or in Brampton, they serve food there whenever you go. Probably more times than we do. If our standard of fellowship or community is, is similar to the world's in that it's just, it's just a program where we give food to one another, where we have fun times, where we socialize with one another, if that is our definition of fellowship, of community, then there is no, we are no different than the rest of the world. We're, we're not countercultural whatsoever. I'll tell you, the fellowship in the Bible speaks... Uh, that the Bible speaks of is meant to be a greater idea, a greater concept, greater practice than some drop-in program that community centers have or some events that other religious organizations have. It's meant to build community and unity and harmony within God's people greater than some team-building exercise that a company propagates or promotes. It is a fellowship that that the world really tries to imitate but fails in comparison. The fellowship that the church is meant to, to demonstrate is a demonstration of real community, eternal community. It's, it's supposed to be a glimpse of heaven, the kingdom of God in this world. That's what the church and the community, the fellowship that we are to have. The fellowship really is what makes the church countercultural. It's what makes us different from the rest of the world. I've said this word a couple of times now. Maybe give you some background information on this. Let's look at the Greek word. I have it on the screen for us this morning. The word for fellowship in the original uh, Greek in the New Testament is koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. Amen. You know some Greek now. Take it to the bank. Koinonia. And it means in, in translation, fellowship, like we're using, or partnership. How it's used in scripture is oftentimes in, in relation to 
contributory help when you're helping people or you're, you're participating in serving others in that context, or in sometimes in simply sharing in something, like similar to communion. When we take communion, where it's like we're, we're sharing in Christ's uh, uh, suffering on the cross, or we're identifying with such things. You're being a part of something. That's how this word koinonia is used throughout Scripture. Now, the first time that this word shows up is actually in our passage, in Acts chapter 2, in that passage there, when it says that the, that, that the disciples or the believers were devoted to not just the apostles' teachings, but to the fellowship, the fellowship. And oftentimes when it's referring to the fellowship, it's referring to the gathering of believers, which is, as we call it, the church. So whenever, we use, whenever this word is used throughout Scripture, it's describing the practices that believers are to, to practice when, when they gather in a community. It describes sort of the church culture, the mentality, the kind of heart and attitude that believers are to have towards one another. And, and really, again, it depicts the, the, the content of the church, what the church ought to be. So our goal for us this morning is to study through, study through Scripture uh, what true fellowship is, what true koinonia is, what it looks like, how, we are we, how are we to practice this? Because we want to, again, remove any notion that fellowship is just socialization. That's not what the Bible says, right? We want to impart a true understanding of what fellowship is so that whenever we gather, whether we're here in this space or outside in our homes or we're hanging out somewhere, that we that we see those times as even an opportunity to practice koinonia, practice fellowship. And how, and, and how does that look like? What is our attitude to be when, when we approach that? Ultimately, what I, I, what I desire out of all of this is hopefully that you would have an elevated view of church, that you would have an elevated view of the gathering of believers. See, the reality is with the pandemic, you know, we're two years out of it now, 2024, I guess 2022, right? What the pandemic really has showed and revealed is that many, both inside the church and outside the church, have, have, the, view of a, have a view of the church that it's non-essential. Not essential. You know, we should have known something was wrong when, when from the pulpits, pastors were, saying, pastors were saying, it's okay if you don't come, if we don't assemble, online community is good enough. Meanwhile, the government is also saying, don't worry, churches are not essential. We should be very wary when we are echoing the rhetoric of the world. And then when restrictions lifted, it's just interesting how, how people's agenda really revealed what their priority was. Because I remember first, first week back and, and, and doors are open, no more restrictions, get to come to church in person again, and people still didn't show up. People went on vacations because finally, right, the restrictions are over. I can finally go on that trip that I've been wanting to go on for two years, three years. It really showed people's view on church, the gathering of believers. The pandemic really revealed a low regard for church and its gathering, gathering together, koinonia. And I think in part it's due to sort of this individualization of 
Christianity and even the compartmentalization of it, long words. And we'll talk about the, the latter one later, but this idea of individualization where oftentimes we think of our Christian faith as a personal relationship. This is my personal relationship with God. And as a result of it, we often think I can grow by myself. I don't need the church. I can just stay at home, read my Bible, watch a sermon online, hear, listen to a podcast or something, and I'll be fine. I'll be okay. But what we forget in the whole narrative of Scripture, in the God's salvific plan, is God took orphans and adopted them into a family. God took the one lost sheep and then brought them into the sheepfold. There's no individualization in that. There's no personal relationship in that. God took an individual, that's you and me, who was lost in our sin, dead in our sin, and brought us alive again to a multitude of believers. The fellowship, the church, koinonia, is not about a personal relationship. It's about a mutual relationship. It's about iron sharpening iron. It's edifying one another to grow in our relationship with God. Yes, your salvation is yours alone. You're responsible for that. But the way that you grow in your salvation, you are sanctified in your salvation, you grow in maturity and faith, is through the church. Through fellowship, koinonia, with other believers. You cannot expect to grow in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God, if you are not in the church. You are not participating in the church. You're not plugged into the church. Do not expect that. It's like, it's like planting the seed, hoping that it would grow into a full tree, but keeping it out of the soil. Not giving it water. Not giving it enough sunshine. You cannot do your faith Alone, it doesn't grow that way. You know, years ago, and this was even before the pandemic, I remember I had a conversation with a bank teller. He, he found out that I was a pastor, and, and he said, oh, I'm a Christian too. And I asked him, well, what church do you go to? And he said, well, me and my wife, we don't go to church. But we love Jesus, right? And that, that really struck me, because really, you know, again, I'm very wary of people who say that, that they love Jesus, but don't love his bride. Don't love the church. Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are all, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another, koinonia, fellowship, the gathering of believers so that you can demonstrate that love, that is fruit of being a disciple of Christ. The sanctification that God does in a believer's life also results in a deeper love of the church. If you are growing in God, it shouldn't push you away from the church. It should draw you even closer. It should draw you to love the church even more. John puts it this way in one of his letters, his first epistle. He says, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 6, If we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with Christ, with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Now, you'd think he's going to say Jesus. You'd think he's going to say with him, right? Because he's making a contrast in, contrast here. He's saying in verse 6, six if, we have, if we say that we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness, then we're not really in the light. Now you think that in verse 7, he's going to say, if we are walking in the light, then we'll have fellow, we actually have fellowship with Christ. But look what he says. If we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all, his, all sin. John is saying someone who is truly walking in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is truly in the Lord has been forgiven of their sins, will be in fellowship, in partnership, in community with other believers. Real Christians, real Christians love Christ and the church. Real Christians love Christ and love the church. Now, no doubt, there's some sentiments of, or some reasons why people hesitate from being plugged in, being part of a community of believers is because they've been hurt by churches in the past, maybe. Maybe they've had a, a negative experience with churches. And, and that's the reality of it. Churches, comprise, our churches are comprised of human beings, fallen human beings who are, are not perfect in this life. And we still mess up. We still fail each other. There's one pastor who said church, church would be much better if there's no people in it. Absolutely, right? Because that's how all the drama, all the messiness gets into the church. But the church would not be a church without its people, without all the broken and, and, and growing and being sanctified people. But even in that situation, even if you have been hurt by the church in the past, or you're, you're, you're going through things that have still not been reconciled, even in those situations, the church, the people of God, is still called to be set apart, to respond differently, to deal with it differently than the rest of the world. When believers fail to be the church, instead of being like the world, whose first response is, okay, that person messed up, you're canceled. Oh, let's, he, he, that person did something wrong, you're ostracized, you're, you're kicked out of the club. Or if you're the one on the receiving end, I quit. I'm leaving. Instead of that being the church's first response, similar to the word world, the church, the believer's first response should be forgiveness, reconciliation, perseverance. Again, the word devotion means to persevere, to stand firm in, despite the hardship, despite the whatever drama might come up. That's what koinonia, that's what fellowship is. Like, you know, I, I've been reading through the, the book of Acts in my own devotional time, and, and uh, it's interesting to note that throughout that book, and even you see this in the New Testament as well, the rest of the New Testament, there's, there's only three real occasions as to why believers would leave a local body of Christ, a local church. It's either they were being sent as a missionary to go somewhere and preach the gospel, or they... they uh, or someone who is persistent in unrepentant sin, Paul calls to excommunicate, anathema, or people die. Those are only three reasons why people leave a church. 
Not because they're not playing your music. Not because they're not catering to your preferences of time. and Not because there's drama in the church. All throughout that, they persevered. They stayed and persevered. They were committed. They were devoted to the local body, to the fellowship. I think the example that we see in Scripture of this devotion, of this commitment and to persevere is, is, is one that perseveres despite hardship, despite friction. We see this throughout the New Testament. Even when, when Paul and Peter had a, little, had a little dispute, we see that they continued together afterwards. They strived together afterward that. In Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What this passage is saying, yes, don't neglect to meet together. That's koinonia, that's the fellowship, the gathering of believers. But what it says even, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is saying, as you see trials escalate, the church must congregate. As the troubles of our world start to increase, the church must gather all the more. That is the devotion demonstrated by the early church. I mean, can you imagine the early church and how in their context and their situation? They were explicitly and openly being persecuted by the rest of the world, yet they were still devoted to gathering together. Meanwhile, people leave churches because they're not playing Don Moen, not playing enough hymns. Jewish Christians were being kicked out of the synagogue and, and ostracized by their, by their society. And meanwhile, people leave the church for the smallest of inconveniences. It's too early. They meet too early. I have to get up Monday morning and Sunday. A devotion to the church is through thick and thin. It's to persevere. Now granted, you know, if you're, if, 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 you're, if you're part of a church that is preaching heresy, leave the church, right? Or stay long enough to, to call out bad teachers and pray that the church changes. Let's look at some couple, a couple of things of what made the early church countercultural. And I'll give you some do's and don'ts to make this very practical so we can apply it to our own community here. What made the church countercultural? I'll give you three do's and three don'ts, or rather don'ts and then do's. First and foremost, how, how to be a, devo, a devoted how to be devoted to the fellowship, which is, again, the church. Don't rationalize, prioritize. Don't rationalize, prioritize. In our passage, verse 44 says, All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's a sense of priority in that passage. From selling their possessions, giving it to others, even meeting day by day at the temple, like you'd think they'd have day jobs or something, right? You'd think they'd have other things to do in their life. 
Why are they meeting at the temple day by day, gathering together, breaking breads in their homes? It's not, they didn't have, it's not that they didn't have anything else. It's that they prioritized gathering together. They put it first. There's no sense of reluctance in this, in this statement whatsoever. Selling their possessions, everything that they had, giving it to those who in need, gathering together, meeting day by day. There's no, there's no sense of reluctance. You know, my, my, my kids, uh, I've, I've got into the habit of talking back to us, me and Faye. And, uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll act, like, Judah, can you clean this up? And be like, but dad. And then they'll go into this whole irrational reasoning of why he shouldn't clean up his mess. But dad, if I clean this up, then I'm not going to have time to play Wii. And if I don't have time to play Wii, then I'm not going to be able to let Livy watch Bluey. And dad, what are you talking about? And it's really, the reality is, it's not just kids who have these rational, this, this idea of rationalization, right? Why we can't do things, why we shouldn't do things. Ever notice how, especially when it comes to the things of God, our, we, we like to rationalize first too. We like to rationalize, and it's never why we should do something, but more so why we shouldn't do something. We have the tendency to rationalize our way out of a commitment, out of a responsibility, out of a standard. When we don't want to do something, when we want to avoid something, when we want to do something else, we come, to, we come up with plenty of excuses no doubt some legitimate, some for sure illegitimate reasons. And it's the same rationalizations that we often, um, that is often a detriment to our, to our commitment to the church, to following, uh, to the, rather to the fellowship of the church. Well, I don't need to be there. I can just watch it online later. Well, it's not like I'll get anything out of it today or... I've got work to catch up on, or they have enough people serving, or other people can give. I can just go next week. Lots of rationalizations. When it comes to the church, when it comes to the fellowship, it seems like we often look for every reason why we don't need to go, why we don't need to participate. There's a little bit of snow outside. Uh, yes, I can't go. And this goes back to, again, a low regard, a low view of church, of being part of the local body. We treat the fellowship, we treat church as if it's optional. And, you know, if I can just say, if this is your mentality, you are just like the world. If you view church as just optional, you're just like the world who, who just asks, why do, you go church, why do you go to church in the first place? Why do you need to go to church in the first place? I would also say, check your heart if that's you. Check your heart if that's your mentality, if you think church is just optional, if you are truly in the faith. Because that passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, when it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, that context of that passage is the writer of Hebrews is talking about the apostate believer, the one who eventually falls away from the faith, the one who makes a habit of skipping church 
is the one who eventually leaves the church. That's essentially what you're doing. If that is your mentality, you're not just missing church, you're practicing to leave. I think this is very crucial in our day and age. You know, parents with young kids, let me speak to you for a moment here. We're just talking about church attendance here. We have to understand how crucial church attendance is to developing young minds, right? To kids, even at the young age. And how that develops their, their, it cultivates their heart, develops their mind towards church and the growth of their own faith. There was a study done in, uh, a couple of years ago, 2013 now, almost a decade ago, wow, uh, called Hemorrhaging Faith. There was a study um, that is done by a Christian organization to see what resulted in young adults after university leaving the church. Why were young adults leaving the church? Well, what was the reason for that? And so they interviewed a whole bunch of young adults and young professionals, those with varying uh, Christian, specifically backgrounds, and um, those who still identified as Christians, those who no longer did, and, and they did a survey to see if there was anything connecting all of these experiences. And they found there's, they have a bunch of statistics, but there's one that I want to show you here. Can we put this uh, graph on? Yeah, a lot. We're, we're, we're visual today, right? They found this is, this is, uh, this is what they found in, in, this, uh, in this study. There's, they put in, three, first of all, three categories here. Those with, from Catholic traditions, from mainline, which is Anglican. Those are um, Anglican, United, all that stuff. And then Evangelical, that's us, Baptists, um, Protestant, you know, Pentecostal. I'm going to add that if you want. Um, this is what they found in, these, in, 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 these, in, in this survey that they did. Those who seldom went to church as a child, as you can see, the, gray, the light gray bars, eventually only 25% of them stayed in the church. Those who only went once a year, once or twice a year, that's the sort of 8%, only 10 to 9% stayed in the church too as they passed university. I'm just looking at evangelical part here. But the kids who their parents took them to church every week, 70%, you know, as a child, they went to church every week. And as a teen, some of them dropped off 52%, but they are the ones, they're the ones who actually stayed in the church after university, after being young, young adults, young professionals. Because every week, their parents instilled in them a culture of putting church as a priority. You're not missing it for any birthday party. You're not missing it because, because oh, you know, you don't feel like it today. But because this is who we are as believers, as a believing family. Now, no doubt, God is the one who ultimately saves the people, and that's why I love this too, because those who, there's, they even took statistics from people who were never brought up in the church, and, and you see they weren't there in the church and as a child, they were only there as a teen, and still 27% after you know, being young adults, young professionals, still in the church, because that's God's grace in saving people. You can look up this. You can look up this uh, study. It's called Hemorrhaging Faith. You can, it's posted online. You can study, look at it for yourself. 
Well, what this shows us is that children imitate the commitment of their parents. Those who grew up not missing a week in church, events throughout the week, groups, life groups, small groups, they have a greater chance of continuing to attend even as young adults, as young professionals. What does this say for all of us, not just parents? We need to prioritize church. If you're single and looking to mingle and have kids one day, you need to ingrain that commitment in yourself now while you're single before you're married and have kids. Parents, bring your kids to church. Rain or shine, snotty-nosed or bright-eyed, they need to know church is not optional. That if they want to grow in their walk with God, that they need the community of believers. The gathering together, the fellowship of believers, must take priority over soccer games, ballet practices, birthday parties, events, all of it. Listen, I get it, sometimes we want to go on vacation. We need to go on vacation, get some rest. But when you, wherever you go, find a church to go to on a Sunday. Or a Saturday. That's what me and Faye did when we went on our honeymoon, right? When we got married back in that year, um, we we went to Hawaii, and we we on the Sunday that we were there, we attended a church. We saw Hawaiians wearing flip flops and board shorts, worshiping God. That was fantastic. It was great. But if you need to miss out of the local church because you guys are away, find a church to go to. Prioritize church. Let it be ingrained in your family's life, or in, in, in your individual life, also in your kid's life. You must prioritize, you must prioritize the fellowship of the church. Uh, secondly, how to be devoted to the fellowship? Don't be distant, be present. Don't be distant, be present. It's one thing to attend the church, to sit in that chair. It's another thing to be present. To be present with people. The example of the early church, just a continuation from our passage in Acts chapter 2. It goes into a little bit more detail in Acts chapter 4. It says, Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You cannot be of one heart, of one soul. You cannot meet the needs of people or know the needs of people if you are not present with them. You're not doing life with them. Koinonia, the fellowship, goes beyond church attendance or being present here in, this, in these walls. It's about being present day by day, just like the early church. Being in each other's lives. Know what's, know what, what's going on in each other's lives and knowing the struggles that people are going through. 
You cannot meet those needs unless you know those needs, and you can't know those needs unless you are present in people's lives. And this is what I mean earlier when, when sometimes we compartmentalize church or even our faith. That's when our mindset is that, well, my faith is just on weekends. It's a weekend thing. It's like a hobby I do, right? Faith doesn't, your faith doesn't go beyond the weekend. It doesn't impact anything else. It doesn't affect any of the other spheres that you have in this life. Sometimes that's also how we view the relationships we have in our church. Brother so-and-so is just a guy that I, I, I see on weekends. Sister so-and-so is the, 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 the girl I see that we, you know, I serve with on, on the weekends, and that's it. But sometimes we hang out, and that's it. The fellowship goes beyond these walls. But if I can just be real for a moment, I'm just very, very real, and I might use some harsh language here, and I apologize in advance. No, I don't apologize. Sorry, but not sorry. Christians today are very, are very soft. Very soft. There are more snowflakes than in the church than outside right now. They treat church attendance or participation in the church with great reluctance, begrudgingly. Oh, I have to wake up early on my day off just to drive out here. I need to get all the kids ready. I need to get myself cleaned up. I need to shower. Ugh. Get over yourself. Literally, your commitment to the church, to each other, is once a week. Once a week to come to the house of the holy God, which, by the way, as we always say, we do not deserve to be here. It is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord and to have fellowship with one another. We don't deserve to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you understand that? We are sinners, rebels against God, disobedient people, once dead, now alive. The only reason why we can come and gather once a week is because of Christ, the gospel that has saved us, that has bound us together. And we, and we complain about gathering together. We complain about coming to church. You know, one of the great joys I have as a pastor is hear about your lives, hear the things that you guys are into, your hobbies and things that shows that you're watching even. Some of you have not missed a single episode of your favorite series, Singles Inferno. But some of you have missed church. Some of you have not skipped a beat on the latest gossip about your favorite celebrity, but you don't know about the life of the person sitting beside you. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, you tell them, Pastor. No one ever checks up on me. When was the last time you checked up on someone? That's the pastor's job, isn't it? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that everyone in the part that is part of the local body is to be checking up on each other, 
to be doing life together. To be suffering together, to celebrating together. You must be present. Not just physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually with others. That's what the true church is. That's what the fellowship is. You know, and, and, and I get it. I, you know, I, 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 like I said, might be coming off a little bit harsh here, but really what I'm doing is I'm pleading, pleading that you would. You know, there's, we, we have team appreciation in, in a, a couple of weeks here because we want to bless and honor those who have been serving in our midst from the back end to the front end, all across the board, because we want to recognize the sacrifices that these people are making just so that you can come to this church, sit in that pew, hear from the word, and worship God so that you can have genuine relationship with one another. The sacrifices that people have made to the point of almost burnout just so that you can receive the word and get fat over, over all the things that you're consuming. Reality is the church is full of fat believers. Not literally, not literally. Fat believers who are consuming the fruit of others and not exercising their own gifts. And really, it's, again, it's not just, we've already been touching on it, and we'll just go to the last point here. What the fellowship also entails, how we become devoted to it, is that we don't procrastinate, we participate. We don't procrastinate, we participate. Again, our mentality oftentimes is someone else will do it. I'll serve when the time is right, when it's my season. When I feel good enough to do whatever needs to be done, that's procrastination. That's deferring the gift that God has entrusted to you to utilize today. You know what that also says? That also means? It's also disobedience. If God has entrusted you with a gift and he has entrusted you with the people around you in this community to serve with that gift and you are not doing it, you're not utilizing that gift, that is disobedience to a holy God. The Bible is very clear. In Galatians chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Peter says, As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Understand, these are not optional. This is a command from the word of God. Serve one another. It's not a suggestion to believers. It's not a, well, if you have free time or if you have the resources, volunteer. You know, we're trying to do this practice in terms of leadership and how we go about church culture is to not use the word volunteer in our midst here. No, it's, it's an unspeakable name, right? Unspeakable word, like Voldemort, right? Don't, don't say it. Because for the longest time, churches have thought serving means volunteering. Volunteering in the sense that, well, if I was available, then I'll do it. I'll volunteer. Or, well, you know, if, if, 
If I feel like it, then I'm volunteering. But there's always sort of an end cap to that volunteering situation. The reality is scripture commands all believers to participate in the local body. It's not an option. It's not, well, I'm signing up to volunteer. That's how the church grows. That's how believers mature and gets edified when everyone, everyone part of the local body is working together for that edification, for that growth together. Participate. And if you don't know how, if you feel like your, your gifting can't be utilized, listen, the Bible has a whole list of other things that you can do to participate in the church that doesn't require you serving in your gifting capacity. Understand that. It's not just about serving or doing things with your hands. There's other ways. Let me throw up a list here for you with Scripture passages for reference. In Romans, it talks about how being devoted to one another, honoring one another. It also talks about living in harmony with one another. That's unity in the church, doing something, doing whatever it takes so that there is unity in the church. Paul also says in Romans to accept one another. You might have different backgrounds, different likes, different experiences. But Romans 15 says that we are to accept one another regardless of our differences. In Galatians chapter 5, we are to serve one another in love. We've talked about this plenty of times. The act of serving, whatever gifting you have, whatever you're using with your hands to, to bring glory to God, to help the church, must be done in love. It says in Ephesians that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. To admonish one another. To encourage one another. Either you don't know, just being, just to edify each other with words. Encourage each other in our sorrows, in our struggles. We are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. When was the last time you encouraged someone to say, just to simply say, hey, you're doing a great job at what you're doing in the ministry. Keep at it. Keep going. We are to worship with one another. Bring a song, a hymn, a spiritual song to edify one another. Of course, lastly, and of course the greatest one that, that empowers all of these other acts, we are to love one another. All of these things, this doesn't require you to know how to play the guitar, by the way, right? This doesn't require you to be a, a, a friendly face for connections. This just requires you to be a believer in Christ, to imitate him. You must participate. Be part of the church. If you are here, sitting in, this, in these chairs... Be part of the church. See where you can get plugged into. See where you can help. See where, who you can encourage, who you can build up. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, the word there is koinonia, any participation, fellowship in the Spirit, and the affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The call here from Paul is to put others first, to serve others first. You might be in a situation where, you, you know, I get it, like you feel like you're not being ministered to, you feel like no one's reaching out to you, you feel like no one's praying for you, whatever it is, and I get it, that's legitimate. And, but at the same time, the call is to be the first, be the first responder, right? Be, be, to, to be the one to take the initiative, to reach out first, to comfort first, to edify first. Not, only, not when someone has reached out to you. Not only when someone has, has ministered to you. You be the first. You take the initiative. So just as we close off here and just to summarize everything, if we want to be devoted to the fellowship, the fellowship again being koinonia, the community of believers, first and foremost, don't rationalize, prioritize. I just realized that the way I... I structured my points, my sermon points. It's kind of like those infomercials. Don't be mad, be glad, right? Just don't rationalize, prioritize. Don't be distant, be present. Don't procrastinate, participate. I know I might, like I said, I might be coming off harsh a little bit. and You know, I thought you're supposed to be an instrument of peace. I love what Spurgeon says about that. He says sometimes a preacher has to be the instrument of peace, but sometimes that instrument has to be a battle axe. If you're here this morning, understand that you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. We want you to be in this church. We want you to be part of this church. A place that you can grow and be edified. A place where your kids can grow and be edified. We want you to be part of this church. That's from us. That's from our end. And I pray and I hope that you, on your part, would want to be part of this church too. If you're in that place where your, your mindset is, well, you know, what can I give? What can I do? I'm not really gifted. I'm, I'm you know, what can I offer? Paul in his in his illustration of the body of Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so comprised the body, the church, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What Paul is saying here is if you feel you are insignificant in the church, you are not. In fact, you are most valued. If you feel distant, if you feel, you feel like you are lost and you don't belong in the church, Paul is saying you do belong. You are part of the body. 
Whatever gifting you have, as little as it is, or as much as it is, belongs to the body. And God can and wants to use it to edify the body. At the end of the day, if you're going to take anything away from this, again, it is a privilege to be in the church. A privilege to be part of the local body of Christ. The fellowship. A privilege that was afforded by the death of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason why we can gather. The only reason why we can call each other brothers and sisters. If you are a believer today, live for Christ. Live for the church. Be devoted to the fellowship. Let us ask, church, be devoted to the fellowship. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we once again just come before you recognizing our failures, recognizing our shortcomings, recognizing, Lord, how we fall short of your word and your will for us. But I pray, oh God, and we praise you and thank you because there is grace, there is hope, in Jesus' name. That you will not leave us the same. That despite our failures and our stumblings, our sin even, you are still sanctifying us, changing us from glory to glory, make us, making us more like Christ and uniting us all the more as a family of God. So I pray, O oh Lord, if there is any who is listening to my voice, that has put off joining the fellowship, the church, that has put off serving, that has put off participating, that has put off being part, truly part of the community of God, community of your, your children, your family. I pray, O oh God, that Holy Spirit, you would convict them this day that you remind them, first and foremost, of the cross of Jesus Christ that has afforded them a relationship not just with you, but also with the church, the family of God. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would remind them that this, in fact, is a privilege. That gathering together, doing life together with other brothers and sisters is not normal. It's not like the world who is just all for themselves and isolation and individualization. But that because of Christ, we have a family. I pray, O oh Lord, that you remind them that they do belong, that they are loved, they want, that, that we want to see them grow and mature and deepen in their relationship with you. That only happens they are present, they participate, O oh Lord, if 
They put priority to your church, your gathering, the time with other believers. I pray, oh God, even that, Lord, you would rise up, oh Lord, rally up, oh God, people who will come and serve you, who will support the ministries of Plus Life, who will participate in serving one another, edifying one another, who will freely and generously give themselves their time, their resources, just to see others grow in you, just to see your name be glorified and the gospel proclaimed. Lord, would you help us? We know that we are weak. We know that we stumble, we fall. But I pray that you would take away all the excuses, all the rationalizations of why we can't do this or can't do that or, or even the hurts that we have. Pray that you'd help us surrender them to the cross, to leave them at the cross so that we can go forth with our brothers and sisters and bring glory to your great name. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.